0: touch with technology with TechStuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey there, everyone, and welcome to TechStuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And Lauren, today I thought we would talk about something a few of our listeners have asked us about in the past, Tesla Motors.
0: Uh, Yeah, we did an episode on Elon Musk back on March 13th, 2013. It was called Tech Stuff Looks at Elon Musk, uh, sensibly enough. And I think in that episode, we were like, yeah, we'll totally do an episode on Tesla Motors soon. And then we never did that thing. Yeah, one
1: year later to the day, it is March 13th, 2014, as we sit here in the studio, we are recording... Uh, a pair of episodes, as it turns out, on Tesla Motors, because even though it's a young company, they've, the, the company's done a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of things to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, largely, in part, to, uh, Mr. Musk, who has had quite the impact on the technological world and multiple venues, not just in electric cars.
0: Uh, right, he was not one of the original founders, though.
1: No, no, back in 2003, there were a pair of Silicon Valley investors named Martin Eberhard and Mark Tarpenning who formed the company Tesla Motors. And their goal was to make a commercially successful electric car. In fact, they say they will not stop until every car on the road is electric. Wow. Now, um, neither of them had really any car experience. I mean, they drove them, but not making them. Uh, but they felt that they had the business plan that would make the electric car a viable option in the United States in particular. And you got to remember, if you know your car history... Electric cars actually predate internal combustion engine cars. Uh sure. So, this is sort of a throwback in a way, but trying to make the electric car actually work because everyone was always worried that the electric car would have a very narrow range of uh, like you wouldn't be able to go very far.
0: Right? Uh sure, and and also various um potential safety issues involving yep. the materials the batteries were made out of.
1: Worry that if it got too cold, you wouldn't be able to start your car. Uh
0: sure, and and also just the the general cheapness and propensity of of gasoline
1: yeah the fact that it had been around and and been on top for a century meant that you know making a making a a road to use a pun into this industry there's the there's the eye roll uh that would be would be you know it's a significant challenge so 2003 they start up and it wouldn't be until april 2004 that mr elon musk gets involved.
0: Uh, right. He invested heavily in the company, like to the tune of $6.3 million, and joined its board of directors.
1: Yep. And uh, Eberhard became the CEO of Tesla Motors. Uh, that will become very important in a little bit. And uh, together, they plan to create, for their first attempt, a high-end sports car called the Tesla Roadster, which they estimated the original actual price, like what what customers would pay for it, would be $92,000 per car. And they wanted to have them on the road before the end of 2006. Now, this is April 2004 when this is being discussed.
0: That is a pretty ridiculously lofty goal for anybody, let alone a consumer car company, yeah, FYI.
1: Yeah, a car company that has no manufacturing factories, no, like they have no, Anything. There's no infrastructure for them yet, so it's it's very ambitious. Uh,
0: sure, and even more ambitious was that that wasn't their sole goal. They they were planning even at this very early stage to to look ahead to to produce a luxury electric sedan um, for for comp- competition with like Mercedes Benz and BMW stuff like that. Right. Um. And then with with proven sales and profits from these two high end cars, to create a low cost electric line for everybody.
1: Right. So these first few ideas that they have. They admitted straight out, like these are high end items. This isn't the kind of stuff that you're going to look at for the family car. Right. Unless, you know, you happen to be of the Gates family or something. Uh, it's, it's definitely one of those where people of high incomes are able to afford it. In fact, there were many people who were criticizing Tesla for having a business plan that was catering only to rich people who wanted a third car. That was pretty much the way a lot of these early reports were going. Uh, Anyway, time passes and not a lot to talk about between 2004 and 2006. That was really when they were getting their business plan in order, starting to figure out what their uh, production chain was going to be. But in August 2006, that's when they really started to promote the fact that you could put down a deposit on one of the first 100 Tesla Roadster sports cars. And it was a paltry
0: deposit, just a tiny little amount, right? Oh, a, l- a little bit more than they had originally planned. It was a hundred, hundred thousand yeah, dollar deposit
1: deposit, meaning that there was actually going to be more to pay afterward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a couple of uh, notable people put down deposits. A lot of them were environmentalists or uh, Silicon Valley millionaires. Also a famous actor, Mr. George Clooney. He put down a deposit for one, uh, but at that point there was still no roadster to actually drive yet.
0: Uh right. They they hadn't really made all that much headway on on that quite yet as right. of two thousand six.
1: February two thousand seven, they announced plans to build a thirty five million dollar plant in Albuquerque, New Mexico, to build what would become the Model S sedan, that electric that electric car you were talking about earlier, the, the luxury the, the
0: luxury sedan, right?
1: Yeah. So that was gonna be. The place where that would be built. And so, uh, they start to figure out that this is gonna be the, the method wh- that they follow in order to, uh, to follow up the roadster plan once that goes on, uh, into the streets. Still not there yet though. So, uh, they missed their 2006 goal, obviously, of getting roadsters out there, but they're still working on it. And at September 2007, they hit another delay. And uh this was because they were having a lot of internal problems. There were budgets that were getting slipped. I mean, al- already you saw that they had planned on having it be a $92,000 sports car, mm-hmm. which presumably means that they thought they were going to sell it. Uh, for more than what it costs to put it together. This is the way generally business is done.
0: Uh, get- sure. It, it, the, the, that price tag was eventually bumped up to 109000 Um yeah. but, but, they, but they were finding out that some of their manufacturing processes were, were more expensive than they had anticipated. Also, that some of their manufacturing plants didn't have the physical capacity to create the stuff that they wanted to create, which is problematic.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you think this sounds kind of similar to when we were talking about SpaceX and, and the, the challenges Musk uh, – encountered in that, you'd be right. I mean, a lot of these are very similar problems, uh, obviously two different scales talking about driving on the roads versus blasting off into space. But, you know, it's one of those things where when you come from an Internet background the way Musk did, uh, and you then go into a manufacturing world, the world is very different. And there's some realities that you got to come face to face with.
0: Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of manufacturing, around the same time, Musk began talking with German manufacturer, um, Daimler about selling Tesla battery packs for, for Daimler's lightweight, inexpensive smart cars, which were not yet available in the US at that time. Um, there's, there's actually a really fun story about this involving the Tesla CTO, J.B. Straubel. Like getting finance to give him a bag with $20,000 in cash so that. Sounding like a fun story already. So that an engineer's friend who spoke Spanish could go to Mexico, to Tijuana, to, to the nearest, um, Daimler smart car dealer and drive (laughs) back in a smart, um, and, and then they, and so they did that. That is what they actually did. And, And then they, they gutted it and, uh, put in a custom battery and engine to show it off to the, Daimler heads when they came and visited their facility.
1: So, yeah, I, if you tell me, fun story, $20,000, <laughs> Tijuana, Mexico, that's uh, that's a pretty crazy tale. Yeah. Uh, in November and December of 2007, this is when controversy really hit Tesla Motors. OK, so Eberhard had been the CEO since around 2004, you know, once they had really started formally kind of organizing this company and he gets ousted, booted. From his own company. Remember, he was one of the co-founders of this
0: company. I think he got demoted and then kind of left sharply. I'm not, I'm not positive if it was a booting as much as a self-booting. I think it was both. Yeah. The, the, there was a lot of animosity involved there though. Yeah.
1: The demoting was clearly like, it sounded like he was being demoted into an advisory capacity, which kind of sounds like he's not being really part of the part company of anyway. That, right. So yeah, it was definitely uh, not, a comfortable position, uh, a comfortable situation. And Forbes actually wrote uh, an article right around that time. There was an article in Forbes about, uh, about this whole thing saying that uh, it wasn't a huge surprise. Um, partly because Eberhard had what they, they called limited management experience and he was a first time CEO and right. just wasn't ready to be a leader for that. And in fact, Musk said very similar things, but, um, Eberhard didn't really take it very well. He actually sued the company and Elon Musk and claimed that Musk had defamed him and said that the defamation result was was what it was centered on was that Eberhard was the reason that Tesla Motors had had so many delays. And he also added there was a breach in contract because under the contract, he was supposed to receive the second Tesla Roadster ever made, and he claimed that the car he ended up getting was a lemon and had $75,000 worth of parts that need to be replaced or something along those lines. <laughs> like essentially he said that, uh, that he was cheated out of it. Now Musk on his part, he countered Musk, by the way, not really shy about s- sharing his opinion, particularly on any sort of blog he has access He's to.
0: He's pretty direct.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He will write in detail exactly like he will. And he goes very logically, very with his calmly arguments.
0: and very smugly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a little
1: little smugness there. Uh, but he said that Eberhard had initially estimated that the cost of manufacture for a roadster would be around sixty five thousand dollars, which is what they base their ninety two thousand dollars starting price on. Right. But then it ended up being more like one hundred forty thousand dollars per car just to make it.
0: Uh, which is way above even that um, that increased $109,000 tag that right. they had come out with a little bit later.
1: Yeah, so that means they're selling cars at a loss. Now, this might work if your company makes, I don't know, video game consoles and video games. You might be able to sell a video game console at a loss and make it up in the game sales later.
0: Or especially if you're selling uh, things in the millions of units.
1: Yeah, but make they... it up for volume. Sure, <laughs> sure. But in this case, if you're selling every unit at a loss... You don't make it up in volume. You just see lots and lots of money going out the door. So it was definitely a, a, a contentious situation. So Eberhard gets the boot. And uh, for briefly, they ended up having a, a, a CEO from outside the company come in uh, named Zev Drory. I believe that's how you pronounce the name.
0: Uh, he is a former Israeli paratrooper. And, um, had a no-nonsense attitude according to many reports.
1: Right. And, uh, so Drory would be CEO briefly and then Musk would end up taking the helm later on. So then eventually Musk becomes the CEO.
0: Uh, sure. Uh, he would also put another 20 million dollars of his own funding into the company around that time. Yeah. Um. And simultaneously, um, there, there was pressure from the market. Uh, other car companies like uh, like Chevy were starting to announce electric vehicles uh, or, or even coming out with prototypes of their own.
1: Right, right. So, you know, hybrids were already a thing at this point, but uh pure electric vehicles were very much in that sort of prototype concept car stage. But now there was a more serious push behind it. I mean, Tesla had kind of proven just by people putting down $100,000 as a deposit for a car that was still a year or two out of of production that, you know, if that shows a demand, then other companies are going to jump on that as well. And it wasn't until March 2008, two years after Tesla had planned on having the Roadster out there in the public, that Tesla Motors actually began to produce the Roadster. So the asking price, like we said, was one hundred nine thousand dollars at that point. And they announced at the same time that the Roadster was becoming available, that the Model S sedan would be available by 2010.
0: And that same two-year time frame, huh?
1: Yeah, because they learned so much from the first one. And in fact, we're going to break down what the Roadster was all about in just a moment. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. All right. So the Tesla Roadster, an electric sports car, something that a lot of people were really skeptical about. They they didn't really think an electric vehicle could have the the performance of a sports car.
0: Uh, Right. Uh, One of those other concerns about electric cars. Right. Exactly. Was was getting the amount of power that someone who likes a good zippy car would really need.
1: Right. The idea being that, you you know, those things have terrible acceleration. And even even once you accelerate top speeds, what, like 45 miles per hour, I don't want an electric car. This was all about opening up people's eyes to what an electric car could do. And it's a sports car with an AC induction motor and a single speed gearbox. So we're not talking about like a five speed transmission. I'll go into more about what that gearbox does in a second. Mm -hmm. It also has a battery pack that Tesla calls the energy storage system or ESS and a power electronics module or PEM. So. You don't really have an engine. There's The engine is like an internal combustion engine. That's where you have all the gas and everything, mm-hmm. powering, pistons moving.
0: Yeah, this is just an electric motor.
1: Yep, you're talking about
0: electromagnetism
1: really driving your vehicle here. And that single-speed fixed gear's job is to reduce the revolutions per minute, or RPMs, of the motor down to the right RPMs for the axle. In other words, it's really converting the the turns of one element of the vehicle into turns of another part of the vehicle so that the wheels turn the proper speed. Otherwise, you know, you'd either be crawling along or zipping through into the stratosphere. You know, you don't want that. You want to have a nice control of your vehicle. Yeah. So, yeah, there's no five speed transmission. And uh, on the other on the flip side, there's no clutch. So that's nice. Uh You, you know, there's, there's only manual <laughs> in a way because I'll get into it. But there's only uh, there's only like two speeds on this thing. And really, it just changes what the top speed and acceleration are.
0: Uh What are those top speeds and accelerations? Well,
1: I'm glad you asked. It's a 300 horsepower equivalent. So you can't really say engine because it's a motor. But it can go from zero to 60 miles per hour or about 97 kilometers per hour for our friends in other places besides the U.S., In 3.7 seconds, so fewer than four seconds, it can go zero to 60. So that's that's pretty impressive. And its top speed is around 125 miles per hour or about 201 kilometers per hour.
0: Uh, The body of this thing was a modified Lotus, actually, a a Lotus frame that was manufactured in England and sent to Tesla for final assembly.
1: Right. Because once again, they didn't have a manufacturing plant Mm -hmm. to do all this like, you know, any other major automotive company, they have these enormous factories where, you know, that's where you see like all the robot arms coming in and zapping stuff and everything. And these were uh,
0: handmade. Yeah,
1: these essentially this is this is pretty impressive stuff. Like you got this and Bentley <laughs> where you get the, <laughs> that handmade attention. So this motor uh, is able to operate continuously at around 120 degrees Celsius. And the first roadsters were air cooled. In other words, they had vents on the front of the vehicle. And as the vehicle would move, air would be forced over the various elements inside the car. And that kept it cool enough. Because as we all know, electronics plus heat equals sad electronics. Yes. So this was uh, supposed to be efficient enough where you wouldn't need a different kind of uh, cooling system. It also means there's no oil. You don't have to change the oil in a roadster because it just uses air to cool all the, the elements. So fewer moving parts, fewer moving parts. Yeah. That's a big, big deal uh also uh, the motor had a uh, had a or rather the battery pack had a a heating element as well because if you were in really, really cold parts uh, of the world okay
0: to 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 fix that potential, what if it's too cold to start my battery
1: exactly, So or you, to
0: spark the battery, yeah,
1: and really, it's to get the chemical reactions in the battery to move to move at the right rate to generate electricity mm-hmm. a cold battery. The cold inhibits that chemical reaction, right? So the heater was really meant to make sure that chemical reaction keeps happening. Um, and the motor uses a proprietary design to convert electricity into torque without losing too much energy in the form of heat. Uh, they talk about using oxygen-free copper to carry high current. Now, Tesla claims that the efficiency of the motor to turn electricity into torque is around 85 to 95 percent, which is
0: insane. That is completely ridiculous. But keep in mind that that is the uh the, the motor energy and not the energy output of the entire car as a whole.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So if you were to take the whole car and say, all right, how much of the ba- of the potential energy stored in the batteries is converted into actual energy moving the car? I'm guessing the efficiency is not at 85 or 95 because that would be. Bonkers.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, I, I would say that that's pretty physically impossible considering that you have just attached a, uh, a ton or so of metal and et cetera to well, yeah. that engine. I mean, so.
1: half of the ton just goes to that ESS, that energy. <laughs> system that we were talking about, the storage system, the battery, essentially.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. That weighed uh, about a thousand pounds. Yeah. A
1: thousand pounds. Not,
0: not a light
1: battery. You nope. will not be changing that on your own. Now, according to Tesla, it packs four to five times the amount of energy density stores of other batteries, meaning that it can hold more energy than other batteries of that particular size. It's also recyclable, which <laughs> is good because It'll eventually run out.
0: Uh, sure. Um, and it's a lithium ion design.
1: Yes, which actually was a big deal. The reason why Tesla went with lithium ion is because that technology is really well established. Like you probably have multiple electronics that run on lithium ion batteries. I've got a couple right here on me. So yeah, yeah.
0: Most people have some in their pockets right now. Yeah. So,
1: so that meant that because they were using this well established technology that has had uh, manufacturing processes laid out for years, it helped bring the cost down of that element, which meant that it brings the cost down of the overall vehicle
0: uh, to prevent overheating. Uh, once you've worked the battery up to a workable temperature, um, it had a liquid or has a liquid cooling circuit. Um, uh, that's that's water and antifreeze that circulate in sealed tubes through the array of cells.
1: Right. So while the powertrain didn't have a liquid cooling or oil cooling, the 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 Actual batteries did, and that was again to keep them at that optimal temperature, just like you were saying, Lauren. I mean, you want you don't want it to be too cold, but you don't want it to get too hot either. Sure. So uh, each cell in the Tesla Roadster battery is about the size of a double A battery. So if you've ever seen one of those, that's about the size of an individual cell. But there are a few of those. In uh, the Tesla batteries. Yeah,
0: 6,831 of those stacked up equals one ESS.
1: Yeah. So if you handed me 6,831 AA batteries, I think I would tell you where that thousand pounds came from. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly impressive. But it, the neat thing is this is the energy system. This is providing all the energy for the car to move forward. And like Tesla says, there are no moving parts here. Mm-hmm. So it really cuts down on the required maintenance you need to do. Now, the roadster's travel range is about 245 miles, according to Tesla, which is about 394 kilometers. Uh, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that every single roadster on a full charge is going to go 245 exactly miles. yeah, far. And then just immediately stop, like in a Warner Brothers cartoon, you know. Uh, some of them could go actually much further, but that's... That's kind of what they say, because that way, you know, you 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 hedge your bets a little bit so people don't push the car further than it's meant to go.
0: Uh, Sure, sure. It's much more critical than saying something about miles per gallon because it's a little bit yeah, right when, when yeah. you can't just stop at any corner and get right. more battery gasoline.
1: Right. In fact, that was a big concern. Again, like we were saying, you know, the the worry that, hey, if I get an electric car, what happens when the battery runs out? What happens when I'm on a trip and the battery runs out? How do I end up refueling? And Tesla's response was actually saying, well, take a look at how far you drive on a typical day. Most people aren't driving so far as to completely drain their tank of gas, I mean, on on their daily lives. Right. You know, there are exceptions. We know there are people out there who have to do a lot more driving than others. But for your average person, you might drive to a job, you might do some errands, you might come home, and that might be enough to, you know, drain a, a quarter of a tank or something. But you don't have to refuel every single day, whereas with the Tesla Roadster, you can just plug it in every night. Mm-hmm. So um, that was kind of the argument uh, that Tesla made. They said that the battery life was estimated at about seven years or 100,000 miles. And at that point, you would need to replace it. I don't know how expensive that is. I'm sure it's quite expensive to replace your battery. Uh, but it's, you know, it's every seven years. The question is whether or not, I mean, if you're the kind of person who's buying a state-of-the-art sports car, If you're still driving that same sports car seven years later, you are not the kind of person I I thought you were. And frankly, I don't know you anymore.
0: (laughs) Or or probably uh, you can afford at that juncture to replace the battery. Yeah,
1: that's also that's also a possibility. That's. Good point, good point. Much, uh, much less snarky than my point.
0: <laughs> that there are also sensors in the battery system that will disconnect it automatically if uh, the car is in a crash or if um, any kind of like smoke, humidity, or, or water are detected inside the battery pack, which is really pretty important because lithium-ion batteries can totally explode when they get overheated.
1: Yeah, this is one of those reasons why if you've ever flown on a plane and they tell you that they're going to gate check luggage, that if there's anything that has a lithium-ion battery in it, take it out. Uh, because it doesn't happen often, but it can happen. So it's one of those things where you'd rather take the precaution to remove it. So again, it's sort of a, a preemptive kind of measure, and a very important one as far as safety is concerned. Now, next you have the power electronics module, the PEM, which is the sort of computer brain of the Tesla. And it controls the 200 kilowatts of electrical power during peak acceleration. So when you really want to get that... Uh, that effect. I remember that they talked to people about, you know, trying to convince folks, uh, to, to really buy into this electric sports car idea. One of the things Tesla used to do for people who were a little skeptical is they would take them for a test drive and they would be sitting there at a standstill and the driver would tell the passenger who is the person they're trying to impress. Uh, you know what? Why don't we turn on the radio and see What's on? And, uh, you know, listen to some music and they would start to lean forward. And that's when the driver would slam on the acceleration and the acceleration is so great that the person could not reach the radio controls because of the force they were feeling from the acceleration. That's adorable. it It was a way that they convinced people like, okay, this car might be for me. So, uh, Anyway, that 200 kilowatts of power is equivalent to the amount of power you would need to light 2,000 incandescent bulbs. Or if you want to go, you know, know, away from incandescent, you say, what about those compact fluorescents everyone's using these days? It could light 10,000 of those.
0: Okay, not shabby.
1: Yep. It also oversees regenerative braking. So that's when uh, you're using the brakes to help recapture some energy and convert it back into electricity and recharge the batteries. Now, obviously, this is not meant to... Recharge the battery to full, but it helps keep that battery nice and fresh. So it it gives you that 245 mile range. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it also controls the voltages and currents that you, you have to keep in mind whenever the maximum or minimum limits are coming into play. That really means like if you want more speed, you're essentially saying more juice, it's kind of that. It's sort oh, Okay. Of... So,
0: so instead of, uh, opening the, the, the throttle, if you press the, uh, the, the gas pedal, the gas pedal. Yeah.
1: yeah. Same, same sort of thing. So in this case, you're like, more electricity, please. Um, also when you accelerate the PM, PEM converts your manual command, which is pressing down on the accelerator, what we would normally call the gas pedal into a series of precisely timed voltages, which gives the propulsion motor the commands to generate the proper speed. Now, now I get to charging it. That means that you get to use the handy dandy electric vehicle service equipment or EVSE. I love how Tesla makes all these things, these crazy acronyms that are making their their technology sound even more weird and futuristic sci fi. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's because science. So you can't install one of these on your own unless you happen to be a qualified electrical technician, because it's talking about some heavy duty power here. Uh, it does hook into your home system, home electric system. So the system, like Lauren was saying earlier, it has a lot of automatic cutoffs, not just if, you know, water. In case gets of
0: accident. In, yeah,
1: right. exactly. In case of accident or also just at home. So there's a smoke detector that's on the charger itself that will turn off any electricity going to the car if it detects smoke. So that's whether it's in, you know, coming from the car itself or anything else in the environment. Um, it also will turn off any electricity right to the car if there's any uh, tension that's detected, like unusual tension on the cable. So, for example, if the cable is on the floor of your garage and someone else drives into a two-car garage and drives over that cable, it'll shut off the electricity to the, the Roadster. And so it also will automatically shut off the flow of electricity when you try to detach it. From the roadster, which is good. Good. So you don't have a... No, that's a great. Yeah, a cable shooting shooting deadly <laughs> electric beams everywhere. That's how electricity comes out, right? And uh-huh. beams? Oh, yeah. That's yeah, pew-pew. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, like lasers.
1: You know, we also mentioned that you don't have to do that regular maintenance that you would on an internal combustion engine vehicle, uh, at least not the kind that we're used to, like no oil changes. You don't have to do filter changes. You don't have to do emission tests. Uh, you don't have to replace spark plugs.
0: Right, right. They they do recommend that you still bring it in uh once every year or about um uh what's the yearly? Like like 12,000 12, miles. miles, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it's it's the idea is that just to make sure everything's in working order and there are of course other things that you would have to continue to maintain like the tires. Those don't sure. those don't magically become, you know, hyper resilient or something. It's
0: science. Yeah, if only. No.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> Going on uh, in June 2008, Tesla Motors decided to build its manufacturing plant, but not in New Mexico, which is where they had talked about doing it. They uh, instead. Decided, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, California offered up some pretty awesome tax breaks.
1: Yeah. So they decided that um, they're going to open up a store there and uh, the store opens in Los Angeles. Uh, in fact, they take a very interesting approach to selling cars. Tesla does instead of using um, dealerships
0: like third party dealerships. Right? Yeah,
1: they sell direct to customers. And that's going to become an interesting point in our our second half, our yep. second part, rather. Mm-hmm. So October 2008, this is when Elon Musk officially becomes the CEO of Tesla Motors. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's also when Things don't look so hot for the electric car industry or really any
0: industry. For, that for any industry. Yeah. The, the global financial crisis was in full gear. Uh, oh, that was like yeah, a pun. Yeah, hey, that was really well done, Lauren. That. I'm so proud I of you. I didn't even intend to. Oh, I'm so proud of me. Okay. All right. But no, but I'm, I'm so proud of me talking about this really terrible global event where a <laughs> lot of people lost a whole lot of money in their homes. Well, um, you know, I, it was, it was a big issue, especially for the auto industry at the time. And, yep. um, uh, Musk had to, put off the Model S delivery until the company could receive some federal loan money.
1: Yep. And in fact, Forbes would say that Musk's leadership was absolutely critical, uh, saying that, you know, who would the federal government agree to loan money to if they didn't have the crazy if it charisma? it wasn't Tony
0: Stark. Yeah, know, yeah. But... <laughs>
1: essentially, you needed to have a Tony Stark, someone who could charm them into. I mean, they, I don't mean to be disingenuous, but they were saying that Musk kind of gives off this Musk of leadership that uh, people buy into, and so he was able to to convince the the various political powers that this is was was a, an important investment, and that uh-huh. it was in fact something that would be good for the future.
0: Uh, he also did appeal to his brother Kimball who he had previously started some businesses up with before, mm-hmm. um, for for a little bit of like much needed emergency funds towards the end of two thousand eight. There, um, and hey, did all of this during his messy public divorce from justine musk um and also while he was working through a whole lot of weird rocket issues over at spacex musk said at the time um at that point every day was like eating glass and staring into the abyss of death so cheerful guy
1: in december 2008 he uh he probably wasn't so cheerful either tesla at that point generated 13.8 million dollars which sounds really interesting like how did they do that when uh, you know the the Roadster was the only vehicle that they had out there, and they weren't able to produce it in huge amounts, how did they make thirteen point eight million dollars? They did it by selling low emission vehicle credits to other automakers. See, in California. Automakers have to comply with low emission standards. It's the same for several other states, too. Mm-hmm. But California has some particularly strict anti-pollution laws.
0: Uh, right. Except the thing is, is that you don't actually have to take part in these anti-pollution measures. You can fund other businesses that are taking part in anti-pollution measures.
1: Yeah. And in return, you get these credits, these mm-hmm. low emission credits, which essentially say, hey, you have a license to uh, to ignore X amount of these restrictions uh-huh. if you have the equivalent number of credits. And so it's really to offset vehicles that don't meet those standards. And uh, Tesla as an electric vehicle, you know, with zero emissions, they had these credits that they could sell. And so they did.
0: And so that was a that was kind of the first bit of uptick for the company, financially speaking, that it had seen in a while. You know, yeah. it's, it's they started Getting a little bit out of that abyss of death at this point. Um, in January 2009, they would close a deal with Daimler for um, for a thousand smart battery packs. And later in the year, Daimler would buy a 10 percent stake in Tesla.
1: And in March 2009, Tesla Motors unveiled a prototype and begins to take reservations for the Model S. So within the first week, more than 500 people sign up and they said that the actual production wouldn't begin till Late 2011. So so, again, it it really goes to show that there was a lot of interest in this company for people to go so far as to invest money in a product that they had not seen or sat in or driven at all. That did
0: not exist yet.
1: And that wouldn't exist for another two years, uh, but they were still willing to do it. I mean, it, it really says a lot.
0: So. Uh, you know, there was so much buzz about the company at the time, Um and and even more so when in June of 2009, Tesla actually won a $465 million loan from the U.S. Department of Energy's Advanced Technology Vehicles Manufacturing Loan Program, um, and that was to help launch the Model S. But the caveat here was that they couldn't get that money until they owned a mass production facility. Uh, you know, that the whole gig of this loan was that uh, the government really wanted... Alternate energy vehicles out on the road, but they wanted not like 10 of them, not a 100 of them, not 800 of them for Mm. special buyers. They wanted mass production. They had been this entire time outsourcing the roadster manufacturing and assembling those cars one by one behind their Menlo Park, California showroom.
1: (laughs) Pay no attention to the engineers (laughs) behind the curtain. So, yeah, I mean, right now, if we were to stop the podcast right now and say that let's say that this is June 2009. Things would look a little uncertain for for Tesla Motor Company. I mean, we're not entirely sure they're going to be able to get that loan. They're not they don't have that mass production facility. Uh they have a Roadster that a lot of people like, but it's really expensive and they have another vehicle that they've announced, but no one's actually seen it yet. So, we're going to stop here, but in our next episode we'll pick back up and talk about what Tesla's been up to since June 2009. And the events that led to the unveiling of the Model S, as well as the announcement of other vehicles that they have planned further down the line. So uh, we're going to break here. But, guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, let us know. Send us an email. Our address is Discovery.com, Or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle is TechStuffHSW. And, hey. You should go to Tumblr, too, because Lauren's been doing some awesome work over there. So I have. Yeah, she in fact, she's not shy about talking about it. <laughs> uh, but no, it really is great. Tech Stuff HSW there as well.
0: Also, hey, our 600th Tech Stuff episode is coming up, and we are in honor of that doing a kind of uh, tech and stuff behind the scenes of, of tech stuff episode that we are taking lots of listener questions. So if you guys are curious about any particular part of our production process or the technology that we use to make this happen or, or about
1: us in particular, uh huh,
0: or any of our wacky co-hosts or just what it's like to work here at howstuffworks.com, um, go ahead and, and get in touch with us via any of those methods that Jonathan just mentioned.
1: Right. We'll definitely be, uh, t- including questions. We will be saying your name in the podcast, uh, assuming that your question is deemed to be appropriate and uh, and and answerable. Some unanswerable questions we may also take. It'll all be on a case-by-case basis, but definitely
0: write be We, we, right we like answering the unanswerable here. Because...
1: <laughs> yeah, we give it a game try. So let us know, and we will talk to you again really soon.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.